Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 174. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. America is hurting. And now is a time for everyone, especially responsible gun owners, to stay vigilant. Maite wore green high-top converse with a heart she had hand-drawn on the right toe because they represented her love of nature. Camilla's got these shoes. Can you show these shoes, please? Wore these every day. Green converse with a heart on the right toe. These are the same green converse on her feet that turned out to be the only clear evidence that could identify her after the shooting. How about that shit? How about that shit? That's, of course, legendary actor Matthew McConaughey, who was born in Uvalde, Texas, speaking to America from the White House. And finally, a powerful, reasonable, likable voice for responsible gun owners. This time is different. And he is different. He continued, and you definitely need to hear it. Look, we heard from, we heard from so many people, right? Families of the deceased, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, Texas Rangers, hunters, Border Patrol, and responsible gun owners who won't give up their Second Amendment right to bear arms. And you know what they all said? We want secure and safe schools, and we want gun laws that won't make it so easy for the bad guys to get these damn guns. So, we know it's on the table. We need to invest in mental health care. We need safer schools. We need to restrain sensationalized media coverage. We need to restore our family values. We need to restore our American values, and we need responsible gun ownership. Responsible gun ownership. We need background checks. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 rifle to 21. We need a waiting period for those rifles. We need red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them. These are reasonable, practical, tactical regulations to our nation, states, communities, schools, and homes. Responsible gun owners are fed up with the Second Amendment being abused and hijacked by some deranged individuals. These regulations are not a step back. They're a step forward for a civil society and, and the Second Amendment. Look, is this cure-all? Hell no. The people are hurting. Families are. Parents are. And look, as, as, as divided as our country is, this gun responsibility issue is one that we agree on more than we don't. He's right. And he broke it down better than any responsible gun owner in the public eye has before. 
It's an issue we agree on more than we don't. The regulations are not a step back. They're a step forward for a civil society and the Second Amendment. He's right. Reasonable, practical, tactical. This time is different. And he is different. I often said in public that Matthew McConaughey could win if he ran for governor of Texas, especially if he ran as an independent. If the matchup in Texas is a partisan and polarizing Republican Greg Abbott versus a partisan and polarizing Democrat Beto O'Rourke, and if McConaughey ran, he could split them both and unite the middle. Lots of folks didn't take McConaughey seriously as a politician, but I bet that changed this week. But he said he won't run. And thankfully, he's not going away because this issue isn't going away. And as I've said repeatedly on this show, gun violence is not just a public safety issue. It's not just a public health issue. It's a national security issue. And every time Americans kill other Americans, our enemies are celebrating. Every time an American shoots a bunch of other Americans, he, and it's also always a he, is doing Putin's work for him. And after these last couple of weeks, we can now see that this is going to be another hot summer in America. Another summer of fire. A summer fire that could clear the brush or burn us down. Because the violence is not going away. The heat is not going away. The fire is not going away. And stakes is high. The stakes have never been higher. Easy is over. And we're in for another very hot, very fiery summer. A hard, dark summer. For the world, for America, and for Ukraine. Ukraine's President Zelensky continues to embody what leadership looks like. This week, he went to bunkers on the front lines right across from Russian forces. We've never seen a leader like him in our lifetime. But despite his leadership, there is already waning public interest in the war in Ukraine. Social media interactions have decreased 22-fold since Russia's invasion. And the Washington Post and others reported this week that Putin thinks the West will blink first in this great war of attrition. Russian elites insider saying the Kremlin is seeking to ramp up economic pressure and erode foreign support for Ukraine. Now, I've been saying this is Putin's strategy all along, and it's the best one he has now. Drag this war out until the Republicans take back Congress this fall, wait until Trump gets the nomination, maybe wins the presidency, and see America stop supporting Ukraine and driving support globally like we're doing now. 11 Trump-supporting, easy-on-Russia, Putin-enabling senators voted against support for Ukraine recently. And you need to know who they are. Rand Paul from Kentucky, 
Josh Hawley from Missouri, Mike Braun from Indiana, Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, John Bozeman from Arkansas, Mike Crapo from Idaho, Bill Haggerty from Tennessee, Mike Lee from Utah, Cynthia Loomis from Wyoming, Roger Marshall in Kansas, and Tommy Tuberville from Alabama. That's the 11. 11 Trump-supporting, easy on Russia, Putin-enabling U.S. senators who voted against support for Ukraine. That's the 11. And Putin's strategy is to wait for a new American political landscape when that number is higher, or maybe even a majority. And that could happen as soon as next year, especially if attention continues to wane. So we must stand with Ukraine, especially because those 11 won't, especially because Trump won't, especially because Putin thinks we won't, especially now. Even if America is ripping itself apart even more than we are right now, we must stay vigilant overseas and at home. This will not be an easy summer. It will not be a summer of love. And given the rising temperatures and the extreme destruction that we may see ahead, 2022 may be America's black summer. Ukraine, inflation, mass shootings, extremism, COVID, all of it together is like a political and social sea of fire, the likes of which we've never seen. Black Summer. This is the amazing new track from the legendary Red Hot Chili Peppers, and it's called Black Summer, which is what we all might be in for. In the song, the great Anthony Kiedis sings about the 2019-2020 Australian brush fire season, which burned something like 46 million acres of land. The devastating fires were called the Black Summer. And this song now is also an anthem for this summer now. We're in for a black summer. And in this episode, we're bringing back one of the best leaders and strategic thinkers in America and in the world to help guide us through it. When the fiery seas swell, shift, and rise, you need a strong leader to guide you through it. You need a leader with vision. You need an admiral. And for America, there's none finer to guide us through our black summer than the former NATO Supreme Allied Commander, Admiral James Stavridis. Admiral Stavridis joined us back in episode 89 in December of 2020, and he's here again. This time, on the week of the anniversary of D-Day. Another time, 78 years ago, when the world stood up against fascism and a looming hateful threat. And brave leaders stood up for America and stood up for the world, like the Ukrainians are now, and like Admiral Stravides has been doing his whole life. The Admiral's a great American success story. He's the grandson of immigrants who fled ethnic cleansing in Turkey. His grandfather fled as a young man on a refugee boat. 
And two generations later, the grandson returned to the same place as the commander of a billion-dollar American Navy destroyer. Admiral Stavridis spent more than 30 years in the U.S. Navy, rising to the rank of four-star admiral. He was Supreme Allied Commander at NATO and commanded U.S. Southern Command, overseeing military operations throughout Latin America. At sea, he commanded a Navy destroyer, a destroyer squadron, and an aircraft carrier battle group in combat. He's got a Ph.D. from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts, where he recently served for five years as dean. He's gotten 50 medals in the course of his military career, including 28 from foreign nations. He's respected around the world and has published 11 books, including 2034, a novel of the next world war with the great Elliot Ackerman. Now he's chief information analyst for NBC News and a contributor at Time Magazine. He's also vice chair of global affairs and managing director at the Carlisle Group and chairman of the board at the great Rockefeller Foundation. And he's also now the author of the new must-read book, To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision. Admiral Stavridis is built to serve. He's an inspiring leader and has a deep respect and regard for history. His perspective is deep. His vision is clear. And he's the perfect voice for this fiery time we're all facing. When the waters in America are this hot, and rough. We need an admiral. So it's time to get on board, rush to our stations, man the guns, and face the storms facing America. And he'll give you the analysis you need to do it. It's a super smart and timely conversation, kind of like a masterclass from one of the top leadership and strategy experts on the planet. It's wisdom, thought leadership, and predictions for the future that we all need right now. Most shows cover what's happening. At Independent Americans, we cover what's next. It's been 100 days of war in Ukraine and years of war in America from gun violence. How are the two connected? Are both of our societies, in Ukraine and in America, in wars that have desensitized the world? Are they both wars that will settle into brutal, stalemated, ignored, and protracted war? Are these our new forever wars? Is gun violence a national security threat? Are there creative ways for America to use our Department of Defense and National Guard maybe to meet it? How long will the war in Ukraine last? And is America's next war against Russia unfolding somewhere else? What does the world think? What do our allies and enemies think when they watch the January 6 hearings unfold this week? And would the admiral himself run for office? President? Senator? Governor? You'll find out. These are stressful times in America. Matthew McConaughey is angry. And even Admiral Stravides is almost angry. And we should all be angry. Because if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Because the fires are getting hotter this black summer all across America. And there's no sign of them cooling anytime soon. A lazy rain am I The skies refuse to cry Cremation takes its piece of your supply I keep saying it. 
Now more than ever, this is a time for independent Americans. We are in a very unique position on the gun violence issue, especially to bridge gaps, find paths forward and get things done. Matthew McConaughey showed that this week and Admiral Stravides will show us now. A special thank you to our Independent Americans Patreon members. They show it every single week and they continue to power this show to stand by us and be a part of the solution. If you're not already a member, please stand with us and join. More information at Patreon or at independentamericans.us. We'll need everybody. This is our Black Summer. Don't let anybody spin you otherwise. Last summer was brutal. So was the summer before that. Two summers of pandemic. Two summers of violence. Two summers of anxiety and loss and stress. And the hard truth is, we're in for another black summer now. Easy is over. Just like Gary Kasparov says, another black summer in America is here. But it's up to us to decide what happens next. Do we let it all burn down? Or do we stop the fire and rebuild even stronger than before? The Red Hot Chili Peppers specifically waited until 2022 to begin their tour and release this song and the amazing new Untitled Love album. They want to spread love during a time of healing after all the craziness of the past two years. Nobody made a greater mistake than he or she who did nothing because they could only do little. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers are doing what they can. Matthew McConaughey is doing what he can. Admiral Stravides is doing what he can. Are you doing what you can? If not, this is the time. You don't have to wait on Putin to take another city in Ukraine. You don't have to wait until after the January 6th hearings. And you don't have to wait on the next school shooting. You don't have to wait on another black summer to end. This time can be different if we make it so, if you make it so. Welcome to summer 2022. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 174. independent Americans around the country and especially around the world. Uh, this is a very precarious time for the world, for America, and I am very pleased, thankful, humbled to have a returning champion back on the show, a man who can be a compass uh, for all of us around the world and inside the U.S. and a voice of reason, a, a conscience, and a master strategist uh, a man who is really, really important, especially in this moment. He's got a new book. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but a friend of the show, the great and powerful Admiral James Stravides is back on Independent Americans. Good to see you, sir. Great to see you, Paul. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have a couple of veterans together who share a hairline. 
Absolutely. I'm willing to be your stunt double anytime. (laughs) And uh, I appreciate the Ukrainian flag on your on your lapel pin. Uh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the global threats. Uh, I want to talk a little about the political environment and how that could impact things. Maybe talk about the Arctic, which no one seems to talk about except a couple of us. Um, But let's start with where we always start. Last time you joined us was episode 89. A lot has happened since then. Where are you and how are you? Um, I'm doing well. I continue uh, primarily as chairman of the board of the Rockefeller Foundation, a very, very large international philanthropic organization. We're working hard at electrifying uh, Southern Asia and also Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, In terms of day-to-day work, I continue as vice chairman of global affairs at the Carlisle Group, trying to move our business and firm interests in the world. And then, as you know, Paul, I I continue to do the writing and the commentary. That's kind of ground zero for me, I think, in a lot of ways. I try to bring that lifetime of experience, particularly as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, to this current situation. So I'm still on MSNBC, NBC. uh, In terms of the writing, as you mentioned, my new book, To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision, is out. And that gives me latitude to to do even more commentary across even more platforms. So busy, but good busy. I, I wonder if you're like mm-hmm. uh, an, another uh, a prestigious uh, ball guy, Mark Kelly. Maybe you have a secret twin brother somewhere because <laughs> I don't know how you're so productive in doing so many things. But I've been really happy to see you on television more. I really think you've been guiding this conversation. And in many ways for you and, and for me, the news has kind of come to us and our area yeah. of expertise. But I want to start with with uh, with something that I think is not being framed as a national security issue, and I think should be. It's the number one issue in America, I think, for most Americans who may not be tracking on Taiwan, who may not be closely connected to Ukraine. Mass shootings are killing people every single day in this country. Uh, if, if we had this kind of weapon proliferation in Iraq, we probably would have been driven out of there much sooner. What, is this a national security imperative? I think it is. Do you think it's a national security imperative? And if it is, what can the president do in that framework? And if you were president, what would you do? Well, let's start with uh, the deep personal tragedy that attends every one of these mass shootings. And the volume of them, frankly, is staggering. It's becoming America's brand in the world. And it's unique. And we like to think of ourselves as an exceptional nation. And in so many positive ways, Paul, we are. But in this way, we are deeply uh, exceptional in the worst imaginable way. So point one, yes, this is a domestic tragedy unfolding in front of us. Point two, your point, I think is underappreciated, which is how this undermines us in the world and thus affects our national security. I just came back from Europe doing a whole series of meetings there, including Davos, World Economic Forum, uh, a number of other uh, meetings around Europe. And, and these are our closest pool of allies and friends and partners, and most of them NATO members. And, and the first thing I heard from everybody was, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with your country? And, and so if we want, and I think we should, seek to, to lead in ideals of democracy and freedom of speech and freedom of the press, and gender equality and racial equality, we are undercutting our ability to lead in those areas by our seeming inability to get our hands around this enormous 
crisis that we are facing. I'll conclude quickly with what can we do about it? You know, Paul, in some ways, the problem reminds me of my time, not at NATO as Supreme Allied Commander, but at U.S. Southern Command um, in charge of military activities south of the United States. And one of the major challenges there was narcotics, the flow of narcotics into the United States. Too many people had a simplistic view of that, that there was going to be one silver bullet that could solve the problem of narcotics flowing into the United States. There is not. You have to create a holistic solution. I think it's the same here. We need sensible measures for gun safety. We need to think hard about how we can reduce the volume of guns produced and, and washing through our society. Look, you and I have devoted ourselves to the profession of arms. We're both veterans. We know how to use a weapon. We have used weapons. Um, it requires skill and attention and understanding. These are not tools for amateurs to have in their hands. So there's a gun safety part of this. There's a mental health part of this. There's a red flag law part of this. There is a uh, strengthen the schools, harden the schools part of this. There is a training piece of this, an education piece. So bottom line, um, if I were advising the president, I'd say, uh, don't look for a silver bullet. Figure out how you fit all those pieces together. I'll close with a, a great quote from 20th Century America, um, a, a writer, a columnist named H.L. Mencken. He said that to every problem, there is a solution, quick, easy, simple, and wrong. Um, this is one of those situations. There's no silver bullet. We've got to pull at all those horses. And yes, it's undermining our national security by harming our reputation in the world significantly. Sir, it seems like there's a stunning lack of creativity in tackling the problem, um, obviously in, in unity. But is there, uh, is there any latitude administratively, politically, and the resource uh, perspective if it's viewed as a national security threat? Because if, if, if this many kids were being killed by ISIS, we'd be mobilizing the 82nd Airborne, the War Powers Act. We'd be flexing the AUMF. I mean, I, I've asked out loud. I mean, is there even any flexibility within the AUMF for the president? I'm, th I'm trying to think outside the box here. But is, is there an opportunity to, t to somehow not only enlist our military and veterans in the national conversation, which I think is very important? We need yes. – white male gun owners to, to be involved and lead this conversation. I think that's part of why Matthew McConaughey's comments have resonated so much. But is there any creative flexibility in way we've used the National Guard for everything, right, in the last 20 years from driving <laughs> school buses to the border? Is You know this inside and out. Are there, are there any pieces here that we need to look out into the defense and national security world that can help tackle any of those priority components? I think you've uh, mentioned one of them, and I'll add another one. The one you mentioned quite correctly is, um, and I think the National Guard is perfectly positioned for this, but it's to get our active duty armed forces, to include, by the way, the reserves and the Guard, who touch bigger segments of the civilian population, as you well know. Let's get them involved in this, and let's have them be part of that educational piece. Um, th there are a, a, a large number of ways in which they can stand on the right side of these issues in, in complicated ways. Let's face it, <clears throat> because many of them 
like you and I, I would suspect, are gun owners. But <clears throat> we know how to use a gun, how to protect it. We know how to keep it safe. We know how to keep it out of the, the hands of a, an 18-year-old. And by the way, one thing I haven't mentioned, I think raising the age at which someone can obtain a, a assault rifle, if you will, an AR-15, makes a lot of sense. I, I just don't see a coherent argument against that. You, you can't buy a beer until you turn 21, but you can buy an AR-15 at 18. Really? Um, in any event, the, your first point, the education, the training, the symbolic side of this could uh, be something that the, the Department of Defense could do very well. And then the other thing you haven't mentioned is technology. Are there technology solutions here? If we know how to harden a fire base, we can figure out how to harden a school. You know, people say, oh, that's a distraction. We've just got to get rid of all the guns. Again, that's a faux choice. You, you got to do parts of both of that. And by the way, a good analogy here is um, after 9-11, what did we do? We hardened the cockpit. Since then, no one's hijacked an airplane. Talk about a simple solution to a problem. And so I think technology could help us um, in everything from a lock that goes on to a gun that is keyed to an individual's fingerprints, for example, so that my arms can't be used by anybody except me. Um, that is within our technical capability. The Department of Defense has got vast R&D capability. It's an idea, one of a thousand, I think, worth exploring on the technology side. I'm, I'm so glad we've been able to get into this because I feel like in the battle against COVID, one of my you know, critiques of, of Trump early on was it took a long time for him to engage the Department of Defense and a long time to ramp up the Department of Veterans Affairs. If you look at just those two institutions, the two largest budgets in the federal government, massive employee basis, right? You've got, what, a million plus people in oh. some way connected to the military. Yeah. If you put mandates across that workforce, you're, you're, you're targeting you know, some of the most influential uh, and experienced gun owners in the country, right? National Guardsmen, great example. They're exactly. not just experienced, they're also influential in their communities. And if those local people are, are, are being examples of what right looks like, it can cascade in powerful ways. I think, I think more like how, how military has been mm -hmm. an innovator on race and integration and empowering great women. Like we, we can change culture mm -hmm. in the same way, I hope. But I, yeah. but I hope that your voice and others can push that idea forward because the national security and defense space seems excluded from this conversation as, as a solution. Yeah, and I think too many in the military are kind of leaning out of it thinking, oh gosh, I don't want to be associated with this uh, argument wrong. Um, right. you, are, you, you, are, you are part of the profession of arms. Our problem is um, how those weapons are being used, distributed. Um, our police are outgunned. Um, and by the way, many of these gun owners in the military are also, almost all, I'm sure, members of the NRA. And right. that's a pulse point that has to be touched if we're going to if we're going to move forward here. Well, well, it also impacts, you know, an, another force readiness <laughs> issue, which is suicide, right? We know that suicide is, is, is dramatically impacting our readiness, our, our personnel. I mean, it's, it's taking more uh, active duty folks than, than combat, right? So there's also, I think, an, an imperative there. But maybe moving into the next uh, part of this discussion, veterans have also been driving, I think, 
the discussion on Afghanistan. They were influential around <laughs> conversations on COVID. And I think they're largely driving the national conversation, at least influential in the conversation yeah. around Ukraine, too. Right. Yes. We saw this coming sooner. We had friends there. We had trained with them. So now this has evolved into a new phase where American veterans are, are over there serving as humanitarians in combat. We've interviewed some of them on this show. Can I ask you, um, you know, every day you're on TV kind of talking about the latest and where this goes. Um, you've said recently you think this could go hundreds of days more. Is there another scenario where this goes on for years? I've talked about the idea of Putin waiting for Congress to change to a more favorable uh, makeup for him, waiting for Trump to rise will be more favorable to him, waiting for even the Trump nomination and a Trump election. Is there a political and military scenario where Putin drags this out and fights over that 20 percent that's being contested for years? I think it is possible. Here's how I would score it. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying uh, three magic words. I don't know. Nobody knows how this is going to come out, right? Um, but I'd say there's a two in three chance that Putin's burn rate, again, talking to a fellow veteran here, think about those units on the front line. They've been in combat for uh, starting to approach a year since they deployed, many conscripted. They're watching body bags flowing at record numbers, very reliable estimates of 20,000 Russians killed in action. As you well know, Paul, and you've been a champion of this, um, of understanding this, our losses in Afghanistan and Iraq combined were about 7,000. So 20,000 killed in action in a three-month, maybe a four-month stretch, that's burn rate. And his tanks are being destroyed, about 1,000 so far. Um, his flagship of the Black Sea fleet resides comfortably as a coral reef at the bottom of the Black Sea. 500 dead sailors there, by the way, mm -hmm. um, his burn rate is very high. And that's before we get to money. You've heard me say it, you know, General Sherman, civil war, war is hell. War is also expensive. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why I ascribe a two in three chance to Putin wanting to come to the table. And by the way, on the other side of the coin, um, Zelensky, heroic, unbelievable, the fighting spirit, superb. We're putting a lot of weapons in the hands of the Ukrainians. But over time, they are also being attrited. They're losing people. Um, the West, over time, is going to start to look at the bill. I think, therefore, both Zelensky and Putin will have incentives that bring them together, call it four months, six months. I think by the end of the year, that's a two and three chance. The one in three chance, your point, Putin's army could get its act together and really expand. And I think his next move would be to go to the south and to the west, try and take Odessa, add it to this little sliver of Moldova that he holds, and really consolidate both a land bridge, we talk about a lot, but a sea bridge that dominates that Ukrainian coastline. That's part of the one in three. And, and that's where your scenario is in the back of Putin's mind. If, if he can just hold on, uh, then he can wait for a lessening of Western interest, shall we say. Yeah. That could come in a number of different ways. So that's how I would score it as I, as I sit here this morning. Thank you. Yeah, it, I, I like the burn rate uh, you know, construct. But I think the overlay on top of that is, is he's, his burn rate is racing against like Zelensky's tank. Right. Exactly. And America's tank. 
right? And if, if the Republicans win Congress, if the Republicans take more of the Senate, 11 senators voted against support for Ukraine this last time. That could be 25 next time. That could be 50, you know, a year from now. So it feels like his burn rate is matched up pretty directly against the American political situation, which is now yeah. compounded by the domestic violence and mass shootings and the January 6th component. So let me ask you to take to take that forward now. We're going to have the January 6th uh, hearings this week. The world is watching, right? The world is watching Americans shoot each other every day. They're going to watch a trial essentially about an insurrection where they took over the Capitol. And, and the backdrop is the midterms are going to continue to cascade where you're going to have likely a battle between, let's just say for now, Biden versus Trump. How does the January 6th uh, hearing this week and the drive toward accountability impact other national security interests and our global standing? Here, I, I think, strangely, I have good news, which is, um, I'll, I'll put it this way, even if um, the Republicans take the House and the Senate, um, I don't see uh, enough falling off on the Republican side to really impact this effort. I mean, there are, you know, Mitch McConnell is all in on Ukraine. Uh, Lindsey Graham, all in on Ukraine. Tom Cotton, if they have any critique, it's that we're not moving fast enough or putting enough weapons in the hands. Um, I don't see, uh, certainly the House and Senate flipping, I don't see changing that calculus. Trump, I, you know, who knows? That's political analysis of a domestic category and somewhat psychological analysis. I'll leave that to others. Um, and I'll close by saying on the January 6th hearings, again, my wheelhouse, how does it look overseas? Paul, it looks bad because it's going to be an endless highlights reel of arguably the worst day in modern American history, which I think you could put it way up there. You know, other candidates, 9-11, I could think of a few others. Uh, but boy, very, very bad day, January 6th. And it's all going to be on display. And then there'll be another layer below that of uh, who was behind it. What did they know? When did they know it? It's going to continue to damage our international standing and weaken our national security. We should still hold those hearings because we need to know the answers. Just like 9-11, afterwards, we had a 9-11 commission that looked at what happened and it made us stronger. I'm hopeful, however these hearings turn out, in some way they will make us domestically more rigorous in resisting a moment like that. You you generously spoke to my uh, understanding 9-11 class last fall as we reflected on the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. And that part of that was, was teaching a new generation about you know the catastrophic impact of that and how it changed the trajectory of America and the world um, you know so significantly. But the thing I've been trying to do over the last couple of months, especially, is connect the domestic extremism January sixth with the broader picture and the hashtag we've used is our enemies are celebrating. So I feel like Putin can have a really bad week in Ukraine. But if Americans are killing kids in schools, that helps his agenda, right? The, the weaker we are, the more we attack each other, that's furthering his long-term agenda. Others are also watching, right? Uh, the North Koreans are, are celebrating. The Chinese are celebrating as we eat our own. The, the piece you've talked about in your books pretty extensively is the threat of China. Taiwan is now back in everybody's uh, 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 radar. The thing nobody's really talking about is the Arctic, right? And, and I want to ask you, 
uh, a pretty straight up question. Are, 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 are my kids' generation going to be fighting in the Arctic? Is that going to be their Afghanistan, their Vietnam? Can you assess what is happening in the Arctic and how real that, that, that region is for perhaps one, if not one of many of our next engagement areas? I'm going to tie that back to a conversation we just had that I want to make a final point on, which is even with all of the challenges we're discussing for the United States going forward, I wouldn't want Vladimir Putin's hand of cards. He's got uh, an economy that's going to be ripped apart. He's got thousands and thousands of young Russians who died in action. He can't hide that over time. He's going to continue to uh, see a growing sense of, wait, what happened to all the things that we came to enjoy here in Russia? And, you know, yeah, they can grow potatoes and make vodka out of potatoes. And Russians are tough people and they'll last a long time under sanctions. Got it. I wouldn't want his hand of cards. That brings us perhaps counterintuitively to the Arctic, because another cost for Putin and a reason I don't want his hand of cards is resources. He's thrown everything at Ukraine at this point. He doesn't have in the tank what he needs to go up into the Arctic. And this is why he is very concerned, and he's correct to be so, about the addition of Sweden and Finland to NATO, which is almost certain. We'll have some sand in the gears from our Turkish friends, colleagues, and allies. I know them well. But they will, in the end, in my view, acquiesce in those two nations joining. That will add a significant northern flank which is Putin's problem, not NATO's. We've got all the resources to manage that flank, to back it up. You know, our defense budget in NATO is 15 times that of Russia's. So that new flank is not a vulnerability, as some have, I think, incorrectly said. It's an opportunity. We have the resources. And that brings us to the Arctic, because both Sweden and Finland are Arctic nations alongside five other NATO members. That would be the US, Canada, Iceland, Denmark, by virtue of Greenland, and Norway. Now you add Sweden and Finland, seven NATO allies up there on that front porch facing Vladimir Putin across the Arctic. So the answer to your question is, are we headed toward a war in the Arctic? I don't think so, because Putin doesn't have the resources, and because we overmatch him, overmaster him, at this point, enormously in the Arctic, and I think we'll continue to do so. So you're right to highlight it. It's going to be a growth area for NATO. Putin may try to add forces up there, but I think he's, Paul, he is in his own little Vietnam that he's created here, and it's not going to turn out well for Vladimir Putin or for Russia. I saw, I saw this week, I don't know if it was the 10th Mountain or, or another American unit, now has Arctic uh, tabs. Right. So like we're seeing a shift of our logistical and strategic resources. And I think I, I accept all of what you say and I'm praying it's true. But we've also seen that he doesn't give a shit. Right. Like that doesn't <laughs> stop him from doing something that might be absolutely reckless or crazy. Yeah. And yeah. and it seems yeah. to me in the same way America wasn't really ready for a war in Ukraine. They're not even tracking on on what's happening in the Arctic. But I want to come back to maybe I, just the- to finish on that. I very fair point. And I am firmly an advocate of focusing more on icebreakers and making yeah. sure we have the modality to operate up there in 10th Mountain, uh, historic unit operating in the snow. And last thought, 
oh, by the way, the last time Russia invaded a Nordic country, it did not go well. They invaded Finland in 1939 and essentially got um, shot up pretty badly by those Finns in the Winter War. Google Winter War 1939. You'll read about some pretty ferocious Nordic troops. Those would be the Finns who are about to join NATO. I, I love that every part of our conversation involves like a really important history lesson. And, and you've been doing this on TV, which I think is also really important. Your book you. is also a history lesson. It's, it's a leadership manual. You talk about the nine conflicts of the crucible of decision. Uh, we're at this point now in America where, where our decision makers are not trusted. A lot of people think our decision makers stink. Okay. And this is independent Americans. We've been talking to independent alternatives, independent voices uh, now, Admiral Mike Franken is running. He'll be the, the Democratic nominee against Chuck Grassley in Iowa. There seems to be, uh, you know, a unique populist, independent appeal around folks like you, right? You were, were were considered as Hillary Clinton's vice presidential candidate. Admiral Mike Mullen was considered by uh, by Mike Bloomberg if Bloomberg. he ran as an independent. Is there an opportunity uh, for more people like you and like me, the veterans community, leaders who've been on the sidelines, to now run if they run as independents? I certainly hope so. And by the way, you know this. I'm a registered independent, always have been. I was vetted for vice president by Secretary Clinton, one of six people actually vetted by the campaign. And I was uh, invited to Trump Tower and had to sit down with President Trump to discuss a cabinet position there at the time that Jim Mattis and John Kelly took similar positions. I chose not to. I think that, by the way, is kind of two bullets whizzing by my head at very low speed because it really is this idea of independence that I think is very, very important. And that's why Mike Franken, by the way, uh, this is not a political endorsement, but Mike Franken is one of my closest friends and shipmates. When I was young, Commander Stavridis, Captain of USS Barry, Lieutenant Commander Mike Franken was my executive officer, second in command of that brand new, beautiful Arleigh Burke destroyer, USS Barry. I never saw a better decision maker in my life than Mike Franken. And, you know, back to the book, to risk it all, um, if I had to go into combat, I would want Mike Franken there right next to me. Um, again, not a political endorsement. I am a political independent. Um, that's for the voters of his state to decide. But I will tell you, he's a perfect exemplar of what you're talking about. And um, I think that um, over time, you're going to see the emergence, and you and I have discussed this, of a more independent center in the country. And whether that group, which I would argue is 50% of the country, maybe 60% with 20% on either extreme, that middle may choose to work through one of the two parties, or it may be time, Paul, for a new political party in this country. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's what I think we're rooting for, sir. I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, Franken's a great example. He's jumped in now, right? He said January 6th in part inspired him. You and I both know 10, 20 men and women who are not yet ready to jump. And if Colin Powell had started an independent party 20 years ago, or if Admiral Mullen had started one 10 years ago, or you start one now, like we need that, that, that first group of people to come together and create not just the momentum, but the leadership and the rebranding. 
you know, we've talked on this show to a lot of folks who used to be Republicans and used to be Democrats and changed Jersey and now they're independents. I think there's an opportunity, especially through the prism of military service, to redefine what it means to be an independent. So would you ever run for office? I I would never rule out an opportunity to serve the country at the moment. I don't see that path for me. Um, but um, I'll, I'll make a historical point, um, which is this. So many people think that, you know, somewhere in the Constitution, you know, Article XX, it says, and there shall be two political parties. One shall be Republican, the other shall be Democrat. Hey, we didn't start out that way in the 1770s. Uh, we had nationalists, Whigs, Federalists. Um, along the road to where we are today, we've had many political parties, including, by the way, the Progressive Party 100 years ago, which was the formal name of President Theodore Roosevelt's third party run, one of the two most successful in history, the other um, more recent. But that one 100 years ago um, was almost as close as H. Ross Perot's, which was the strongest showing. Anyway, point being, historically, we may well be at a time when uh, individuals will want to look. And by the way, it's not just veterans. I have two daughters who are millennials. I have, they're both married, two girls are both married to wonderful young men. And, you know, they look to the left and the right at the two political parties and just shake their heads. Mm. I think, I think the millennials could save us in this country. And it may be that they are the ones who bring this idea of a, a sensibility of the center together for us. I think, I think that's right. I think we, we talked about this um, with, with John Updike and we've talked about it with others. It feels like we need that first, you know, European World Cup champion to come to America and agree to, to play in the MLS. We need a David Beckham. We need someone to be the first one who's got cachet, who's got a brand, who's got respect. And I think you are one of those people that's in a really unique position to be able to do that. We, we, we need the millenniums, millennials. We need all of them. But we also need a new leader right? Or a couple of them. And it can be a cabinet, but it's not going to be Andrew Yang. It's not going to be Evan McMullen. It, it, it may be someone that emerges up in the same way um, Barack Obama did, but I think this is the moment. And, and, I, and I, I know you dodged two heat rounds, but we might need <laughs> you to take one in that strong Kevlar vest that I know can take one hard heat round and still keep chugging. Um, because as you, you know, George Washington used to always say, uh, when we assumed the soldier, we did not lay aside the citizen. You've been an incredible citizen. You've been an example for all of us. You continue to serve. I'm so grateful for your wisdom and, and your friendship and your leadership. And, and I hope you will just extend it as far as you can. We need a whole army behind you and alongside you. You are too kind. And I appreciate the chance to come on and talk about a book to risk it all about decision-making under extreme stress. And tragically, we see that not just in the military today, but in our society in general, as people confront these mass shooters, for example, it's prepare for those moments as you and I have prepared for combat in the past. Thank well, you. Everyone friend. should run out and get your book. It's, it's, it's uh, every book you put out is fantastic. It's great father's day gift. Uh, and, and in the meantime, you can all give America a great Father's Day gift and join the draft Admiral Stravides campaign uh, <laughs> to get him and a couple other folks to, to go deeper into it. But thank you for all you do, sir. Best of luck uh, out there and everything you're doing. And uh, stay vigilant, my friend. Thanks for uh, doing a risky interview with me today. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> thank you, sir. All 
All right, don't you feel smarter? Admiral Stravides is the real deal. Go out and get his new book, To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision. Find him on Twitter. He's excellent on Twitter. Look for him on NBC especially, and he'll be in media throughout the next couple of weeks promoting his book. And encourage him to run for office. Maybe he and Fred Gutenberg can be running mates. But as Father's Day looms, Admiral Stravides is like a father to America. And a father to us all. And he's definitely a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. They haven't been able to help my voice over these last couple weeks, but they are out there. So check the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. I really appreciate all of you that have been sharing. Keep it up. We'll keep it going throughout this summer. And when you're on social, you can also play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. Look for the hashtag. Look for all our social platforms and Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. We've got some good ones coming up all summer long. You can Guess the Guest like Delfino Sanchez down in Houston, Texas, does every single week. He did it again tonight. Shout out to Delfino and Aldine Tree Services and Houston Stump Grinding. He got it yet again. He also noted that the Admiral was recently on The Colbert Show with our friend Stephen Colbert. He said Stephen might be a bit envious since he didn't have the same luxury of time for an interview that we did. Definitely a great point, Delfino. Shout out to you. And a good reminder, if you've never heard it, go back and check out our episode with Stephen Colbert. It's number 78, one of my favorites, and a really candid, fun conversation, smart conversation with the great Stephen Colbert. You can find it at independentamericans.us. You can see video of that conversation with Stephen and my conversation with the Admiral. We've really been surging on this show in the last couple of months. Our year-to-date downloads are up 38%. Thanks to all of you for making that happen. Let's keep it going. When you're there on the website, you can see we've got 249 individual episodes and over 300 hours of content between all the shows on Righteous Media. You can watch all our recent shows on Ukraine, And it's like summer school for free. You can also find more ways to get involved as an independent American. And here are really important recent episode on closed primaries with John Updike. Because almost every week this summer, more primaries are happening and more primaries that are closed to independent Americans. This week, there were three states holding closed primaries, and nearly three million voters were not able to participate in the elections that their taxes pay for. It's voter suppression, and we got to address it. We got to empower independent Americans. In New Jersey, 2.4 million independent Americans were excluded. In New Mexico, 300,000. And in South Dakota, 140,000 independent Americans were excluded. So check out that episode, spread the word about this show, and get involved. And as I mentioned earlier, you can support this show by joining our Patreon community. Shout out to all our Patreon members. You get exclusive content all the time, and we're going to continue to feed you that throughout the summer and do online events and hopefully in-person events with guests like Stravides and maybe even somebody like Colbert soon. Thanks to all of you. 
And a big shout out to Andrew Morrison. He's a big supporter of this show, and he posted a great picture of himself repping for independent Americans with one of our very cool hats. If you haven't seen the independent American hats, Chris and our team came up with an independent Americans logo that kicks ass. And Andrew is rocking that hat, looking really good. You can find them at independentamericans.us backslash merch. And Andrew looks sharp, even though I think he's from Boston. Right now, I am sorry. I am rooting against Boston. I'm always rooting against Boston. I'm rooting for Golden State. But Andrew, I'm rooting for you, and I appreciate you rooting for us. Those hats make a great Father's Day gift for the independent dad in your life or anybody else out there. Andrew called us a calm amongst the storm. That's what we want to be. We want to help you navigate this black summer and whatever happens in the seasons to come. Righteous is going to continue to bring you the five eyes in all of our podcasts and all the content that we deliver. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. Righteous is different. Righteous is an independent, American, veteran-owned and led content company. And we're going to continue to innovate and disrupt. And it happens only because we've got a fabulous team at the Righteous Media crew, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, precise Paula Hernandez. They keep bringing it, and they will bring it all summer long. And i got to send a big thanks and a happy summer to my amazing wife and two boys. School is over this week. It's early, but it's over, and celebration time is here. can't believe the year is over, but we've already started celebrating. We started celebrating last week, and we went to a perfect night of dirt track racing at the official Ackerd Speedway. If you've never been to dirt track speed racing, you got to check it out. There's nothing like waking up the next day with dirt all up in your nose, a slight ringing in your ears, and a car that needs washing even though you parked it a football field length away from the track. But it was a perfect summer night at Ackerd. Big shout out to everybody there and to everybody around the country that's pushing to reopen things and to celebrate the end of school. School is over. It has been a tumultuous and hard year for everybody, and we did it. So I'm so proud of my little boys and of my wife. To be a six-year-old and a three-year-old going through this kind of school is just tough. And thanks to them and thanks to all the folks out there, the parents, the students, the teachers, the staff that made this school year possible. Congratulations to all of you. America's divided, but the celebration of our kids and how we stand together is an example of how we're not. And we at Independent Americans and Righteous are working to change it every day, adding light to contrast the heat of the other news and media and content networks. So if you're among that 42% of Americans who are independent, Come join us. And if you're a Republican or a Democrat, but you're not a diehard, if you're independent curious, this is your show. If you're a concerned parent, student, citizen, who cares about the future of your country, this is your show. Matthew McConaughey, this is your show. You're welcome too. We invite you all to join us and be a part of the solution. Check out all the other Righteous Media podcasts, Firefighters with Rob Sarah and B-Dorm with Jericho Turner and Don Elevert. They're cranking out great episodes, and there's video for all of them. Definitely check out video of B-Dorm. You want to see these guys in action. They are smart, and they are fun. Subscribe to them for free wherever you got this pod, or you can go to Righteous.us. It's not .com, it's .us, because we are an American company, and we're proud of it. So keep sharing the hope. 
because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And we definitely need hope now going into this Black Summer. Black Summer is starting with June, and June is Pride. June is the anniversary of D-Day. June is Father's Day. June is also something else. June is when the great Prince Rogers Nelson was born. June 7th, 1958, Prince was born. Prince would have been 64 this year. So I wanted to share with you his epic solo from the 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. And he was on stage with Tom Petty, Steve Winwood, Jeff Lynn, and others to perform While My Guitar Gently Weeps. The greatness of Prince, the sadness of that song, it seems like the right vibe as we roll through this difficult time and into a bittersweet graduation season where we mourn the people we've lost and we've mourned what we've lost and we go into what will be a black summer. But it's a summer we can fill with hope, we can fill with music, we can fill with unity because we may be divided, but Matthew McConaughey is right. We're not as divided as many would have you believe. And we can unite this summer around gun violence, around July 4th, or maybe just around the NBA Finals and Stanley Cup, which are both shaping up to be amazing. Go Rangers. But also, we can unite around music, like the epic sounds of the great Prince Rogers Nelson and so many others, so many others that united Americans of all generations and all backgrounds, and who will do that again this summer in concerts all across the country, big and small. And I'll be out there. I'll be seeing the Mammals and the Catskills, OAR and Dispatch at Jones Beach, Michael Franti in Poughkeepsie, Kenny Chesney at Giant Stadium, and in my car with my little boys every single day. And I hope you can get out there too and spread that hope and spread that music and do what you can to make this summer a bit better. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant and we're all in it together. All across America, all across Ukraine, and maybe even in Washington, we're all in this together. From Matthew McConaughey to the Red Hot Chili Peppers to Admiral James Stravridis to Prince to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening, especially when my voice is jacked up. But thanks for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. Happy summer. And stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.